Hi, I'm Father Gregory Pine. And I'm Father Jacob Bertrand Jancic. And you're listening to the Catholic Classics Podcast, where we seek to grow our prayer lives by learning from the Church's greatest saints and teachers. Spiritual reading can be challenging for many Catholics, so this podcast is here to help. Each season, we'll read through a great work, unpack its timeless wisdom, and encourage you with practical tips for the pursuit of holiness. The Catholic Classics Podcast is brought to you by Ascension. This season, we are reading Ascension's edition of Introduction to the Devout Life by St. Francis de Sales. To get your copy of the book and download the reading plan for this season, visit ascensionpress.com slash catholicclassics or text INTRO to 33777. Be sure to follow us on your favorite podcast app. This is Day 38. Today we'll be reading Part 4, Necessary Counsels Concerning Temptations That Occur Frequently in the Christian Life, Chapter 14, Pages 413 to 418 in the Ascension edition of the book. Before we get into the reading, then, a quick look at what we'll be covering today. So having then discussed in previous chapters the reality of consolation and how consolation is good but could pose a temptation to us as we journey in our faith, here we're going to turn to desolation. And desolation means the sensible loss of the presence of God. So you're chugging along in your life of prayer and your life of faith, you're feeling good about things, and then all of a sudden it's like the lights go out. That would be an experience of desolation. And what St. Francis de Sales will describe for us in this chapter is that sometimes desolation will come about through some fault of our own. If that's the case, uh, then we try to troubleshoot the problem. So if we're doing X, Y, or Z bad thing, then we ought to counter whatever that is in order to right the ship. But he goes on to add, it could be through no fault of our own. And then we might ask that the time passes, but we oughtn't pay it too terribly much mind. So let's uh, just say a prayer then and get started in with our reading. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Grant us grace, O merciful God, to desire ardently all that is pleasing to thee, to examine it prudently, to acknowledge it truthfully, and to accomplish it perfectly. For the praise and glory of thy name, amen. Chapter 14, On Spiritual Dryness and Barrenness My dear Philothea, follow my instructions when you are visited by consolations. However, likewise bear in mind that these sunny days will not last forever. Days will come when you will find yourself so absolutely destitute of all feeling of devotion that your soul will seem to you to be a fruitless barren desert in which there is no trace of a pathway to find her God, nor any water of grace to refresh her on account of the dryness that seems to entirely lay her waste. See Psalm 63.1. Alas, how much does a poor soul in such a state deserve compassion, especially when this dryness is very great? For then, like David, she feeds herself with tears day and night, while her enemies continually say to her, quote, Where is your God? End quote. Psalm 42.3. What path will you find toward him? Who can ever restore you to the joy of his holy grace? What should you do then, Philothea? Examine the source from which this evil comes, for we ourselves are often the cause of our spiritual dryness. 1. As a mother refuses to give sugar to her child who is suffering from intestinal worms, so too God withholds consolations from us when we vainly take joy in them and are subject to the worms of self-conceit and presumption. Quote, it is good for me that I was afflicted, yes, because before I was afflicted I went astray. End quote. Psalm 119, 71, and 67. 2. When we neglect to gather the sweets and delights of the love of God in the proper season, 
He removes them from us as a punishment for our sloth. The Israelites who neglected to gather the manna in early morning could gather none after sunrise, for by then it had all melted away. See Exodus 16.21. 3. We are sometimes laid out upon the bed of sensual contentment and perishing consolations, like the sacred spouse was in Song of Solomon. Chapter 5, verses 2-6. through six. Then, the spouse of our soul knocks at the door of our heart and invites us to return to our spiritual exercises. However, we haggle with him because it grieves us to leave behind these vain amusements and to separate ourselves from these false satisfactions. Therefore, he departs and permits us to slumber on. Afterwards, when we desire to seek him, we find him only with great difficulty, and there is nothing more than what we have justly deserved, since we have been so unfaithful and disloyal as to have refused to participate in his love, ourselves preferring to enjoy the world's consolations. Ah, if you still have the flower of Egypt, you will not have the manna of heaven. Bees detest all artificial colors, and the sweet consolations of the Holy Spirit are incompatible with the world's fraudulent delights. 4. When you tell half-truths and subtle tales to your spiritual director, these may also produce dryness and barrenness in your soul. For since you thereby lie to the Holy Ghost, it is no wonder that he would then refuse to give you his consolations. If you will not be sincere and innocent like a little child, then you shall not receive little sugar plums like a child. 5. If you have stuffed yourself with worldly satisfactions, then it is no wonder that you have no taste for spiritual delights. As the old proverb runs, Doves that are already filled find cherries bitter. And as the mother of God said, quote, He has filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he has sent empty away. Luke 153. They who are filled with worldly pleasures are incapable of spiritual delights. 6. If you have been careful to preserve the fruits of the consolations that you have received, you shall receive new ones, quote, for to everyone who has will more be given, and he will have abundance, end quote. But as for him who has lost it through his own fault, then, quote, from him who has not, even what he has will be taken away, end quote, Matthew 25, 29. That is, he shall be deprived of those graces that were prepared for him. Rain gives life to plants that have leaves, but it deprives of life those that do not, for it rots them altogether. From these sorts of causes, we lose the consolations of devotion and fall into dryness and barrenness of spirit. Let us then examine our consciences in order to see whether we can find any such faults in ourselves. However, note well, Philothea, that this examination is not to be made with anxiety and too much curiosity. Rather, having faithfully considered our conduct, if we discover that we are the cause of the evil, then let us thank God for the discovery, for an evil is half cured when its cause is known. However, if on the contrary you can find nothing in particular that seems to have occasioned this dryness, do not spend time in a more detailed examination, but rather with all simplicity, do what I now advise you. 1. Profoundly humble yourself before God with a deep sense of your own nothingness and misery. Alas, O Lord, what am I when left to myself other than a dry ground which, filled with cracks in every direction, shows how it thirsts for rain from heaven, while in the meanwhile being spread about by the wind and reduced to dust? 2. Call upon God and beg that he fill you with joy. Quote, Restore to me the joy of your salvation. Psalm 51, 12. Father, if it be possible, let this chalice pass from me. Matthew 26, 39. See Luke 22, 42. End quote. Away, O barren north wind that withers my soul, and come, O gentle breeze of consolations, 
and blow upon my garden so that its good affections may spread your sweet fragrance. See Song of Solomon 4.16. 3. Go to your confessor and open wide your heart to him. Let him clearly see all the twists and turns of your soul. With utter simplicity and humility, follow the advice he shall give you. For God, who is well pleased with obedience, frequently renders profitable the counsels we take from others, though especially those that we receive from those tasked with guiding our soul, even when they afford no great prospect of success, as when he made the waters of Jordan healing for Naaman when Elisha had ordered him to use them without any appearance of human reason. 2 Kings 5.14 4. However, after all this, there is nothing so profitable nor so fruitful in such conditions of spiritual dryness and barrenness as not to allow our affections to be too strongly fixed upon the desire to be delivered from them. I do not say that we should not simply wish for deliverance, but rather that we should not set our heart upon it, instead yielding ourselves up to the pure mercy of God's special providence, so that he may make use of us amid these thorns for as long as he pleases. Let us say, quote, Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. But let us add, nevertheless, not as I will, but as thou wilt. End quote. And here, let us stop with as much peace of soul as possible, for God, beholding us in this holy indifference, will comfort us with many graces and favors, as when he saw Abraham resolve to deprive himself of his son Isaac, Genesis 22, verses 15 through 18, and was thus satisfied with seeing him so purely resigned, therefore comforting him with a most delightful vision and consoling blessings. Therefore, when suffering all kinds of afflictions, whether bodily or spiritual, and amid all distractions or loss of sensible devotion which might befall us, we too must say from the bottom of our heart and with profound submission, quote, The Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. End quote. Job 121. For if we continue in this humility, he will store his delightful favors to us as he did for Job, who constantly used such words in the midst of all the desolations he experienced. 5. Finally, Philothea, in all our spiritual dryness and barrenness, let us never lose courage, but rather, waiting with patience for the return of our consolation, let us earnestly pursue our course. Let us not omit any of our exercises of devotion, but if possible, multiply our good works. And, not being able to give our dear spouse sweet and soft fruit preserves, let us offer him dried ones instead. For all this is the same to him, so long as the heart that offers them is perfectly fixed in the resolution to love him. When the spring is fair, the bees produce more honey and fewer young offspring, for so favored by the fine weather they are so occupied in their harvest amid the flowers that they forget to beget little ones. However, when the spring is cold and dull, they produce more young bees and less honey, for given that they cannot go abroad to gather honey, they employ themselves at home to increase their numbers. Thus it happens frequently, O Philothea, that the soul, finding herself in the fair spring of spiritual consolations, amuses herself so much in gathering and sucking them up, that in the abundance of these sweet delights, she performs fewer good works, while by contrast, in the midst of spiritual dryness, the more destitute she finds herself to be of the consolations of devotion, the more she multiplies her good work and abounds in the interior begetting of the true virtues of patience, humility, self-contempt, resignation, and renunciation of self-love. Therefore, a great mistake is committed by many, especially women, by believing that the service we offer to God without delight, tenderness of heart, or sensible satisfaction is less agreeable to His divine majesty. On the contrary, our actions are like roses, which are more beautiful when they are fresh 
though they are stronger and sweeter when dried. Even so, even though our works done with tenderness of heart are more agreeable to ourselves, to ourselves, I say, who care only about our own delight, nonetheless, when performed in times of dryness, they possess more sweetness and are more precious in the sight of God. Yes, dear Philothea, in times of dryness, our will makes us serve God, as it were, with a lively strength, and consequently, it must indeed be more vigorous and constant than in times of consolation. It is no great matter to serve a prince in the quietness of a time of peace and amid the delights of the court. However, to serve him amid the hardships of war and troubles and persecutions is a true mark of constancy and fidelity. Blessed Angela Foligno says that the prayer that is most acceptable to God is that which we make by force and constraint, the prayer to which we apply ourselves not for any delight we find in it, nor by inclination, but purely to please God, a prayer to which our will carries us against our inclinations, violently forcing its way through the midst of the dryness and repugnance that stand in opposition to it. And I say that the same holds true for all sorts of good works, whether interior or exterior, for the more contradictions we experience in doing them, whether exterior or interior, the greater they are esteemed in God's sight. The less our own interest is involved in the pursuit of virtues, the brighter does the purity of divine love shine forth in them. A child readily kisses his mother when she gives him sugar, but it is a sign of great love if he kisses her after she has given him wormwood or any other bitter potion. In this section, then, as St. Francis de Sales treats desolation and how we might or might not be the cause of desolation, he starts first with the causes that we have some control over or the causes um, that we can take note of or the causes that we can kind of rein in, perhaps. A variety of ways of kind of not adequately describing this phenomenon, but whatever. I'll continue to stumble around in the dark because that's what I always do. Um, so he'll go and describe how maybe it comes about as a result of our pride or maybe as a result of our sloth, which is to say a kind of like lack of desire or a lack of love of spiritual things because we find them too difficult to obtain. Or it might be that we're overly contented with spiritual goods, or it might be that we're just being dishonest about our lives. Like we're, we're looking at our lives and we're actually projecting rather than genuinely receiving. Or it might just be that we lack a certain care when it comes to the gifts that God has given us. So when we go through that list, Father Jacob Bertrand, are there particular ones that stand out, things that you think are especially good to address when it comes to desolation and its causes? I think before saying particulars, and the danger of always talking about particulars is that you're talking about yourself, <laughs> you <have to> man <laughs> manifest your own weaknesses and vices. That's okay sometimes, I guess. But uh, before talking about particulars, generally, let's, I'm going to mention a general like piece of advice and one that I received a long time ago, like maybe, I don't know, 10 years ago, we'll say that for simplicity's sake, but one that I'm still wrestling with. And because I am a particularly like type A OCD person, I'm easily annoyed. Maybe that's not always together, but in my circumstance it is. Uh, and I... And I'm easily annoyed with other people too, and myself, but just like everything in general. And uh, with other people and dealing with other people, uh, I was given the advice that when annoyed with somebody else to first consider how you have messed up the situation, like the, the weaknesses you bring to the situation, whether that's simply like being impatient. You know, the other person might genuinely be doing something wrong or annoying, but like my impatience 
is a problem too. So work on your impatience rather than trying to fix the other person because you can't really fix other people. You can, but you can work on yourself. And I think that that point, at least in some ways, holds here too with what St. Francis is telling us and what you've explained already, Father Gregory, is that we often approach like our dryness in prayer, our desolation in prayer, I think, I do, as as like blaming others. You know, like, well, God's not giving me this or this person's distracting or whatever. But in many ways, we can't control those things. We can look at our own lives, as you said, not live within this like reality or take stock of where we are in our lives, in our spiritual life and address those. And I think that's a much healthier way because we do want to be able to what face and address those things over which we have control whether that's our pride, our, our sloth, our dishonesty, our inability to be kind of attentive, those kind of things. So yeah, that's that's more general than it is like a particular thing. But often, I'll say this, uh, to say one thing about particulars and then I'll, st- I'll stop on my, my rambling. But for me often, and my experience here in, the, in my prayer is, it connects to kind of what's going on outside of prayer. If I'm all over the place and disorganized and have like a to-do list that's a thousand things long and I'm just not getting things done, then my prayer is often focused on that, my time in prayer and not focused on, on Christ. So for me, it's, it is, it, that comes into like pride, right? That I can do everything and I'll just keep doing everything. And then I try to settle in prayer and I'll do everything in prayer. And it's like, no, you got to chill. You got to stop doing that. So I find that to be a big source of like desolation in my prayers as a sort of control over trying to control everything. I, I'm, I'm assuming other people have similar experiences to that. Yeah. No, it's interesting you mentioned the word control because as you're describing, uh, you know, like your experience or the experience of others with whom you've spoken, I think here of like a science experiment, my science formation is not nearly as well developed as yours. I think I stopped, Never mind. doesn't matter. But I remember in like fourth grade, we had to do an experiment so we could learn the scientific method and I did an experiment by giving two plants, different kinds of food. I fed one with water and one with lemon juice. I remember the project was entitled A Croton Crisis because the name of the plant was Croton. I was very pleased with that. Um, But yeah, the one that I gave lemon juice, its leaves split like fork-tongued leaves. I was like, woo, what a strange plant. Thus the crisis. Um, But I remember, you know, our teacher instructing us that all of the conditions should be the same except the condition that you want to examine, like the condition that you want to determine if it has an effect on your two different plants or on whatever experiment you're performing. So, you know, you want to put them on the same windowsill with the same heat, same light, same nutrients, etc. And I think that in the spiritual life, right, we're trying to, the experiment is an experiment of our Lord Jesus Christ on our souls. And the experiment is how like me can I make you? (laughs) But there's all these different factors that we have to isolate or we have to kind of I don't know, address or be cognizant of. So that way we can be really engaged with the experiment itself. Because if we're changing all kinds of different factors, then we're not really attuned to what our Lord is doing in our life. So like when St. Francis de Sales describes how, you know, it could be by way of pride or sloth or overcontentment or et cetera, et cetera. He's saying, you know, come before your life and try to recognize the different obstacles that you pose to God's gift of himself and then ask him for help with addressing those things. So then you can be more engaged with God giving himself, you know, like you can really pay attention to this grand experiment, uh, which I think is beautiful. I mean, oftentimes we do it very poorly or we do it as if stumbling around in the dark. But uh, yeah, it's ex- I mean, it's an exciting prospect, uh, provided that we can draw from the Lord's strength and the Lord's own excitement, you know, kind of like looking at, at how it'll go. But yeah, um, well, go ahead. Go ahead. 
I was just going to say one of the things too that's important is our sort of spiritual or psychological attitude, but also like in an episode just recently, we were talking about the physical reality of prayer too, and having a sort of schedule and time to pray and kind of routine is also really helpful here because especially having worked with college students in the vocation work that I did previously and on college campuses, one of the complaints that I hear from students a lot, and I think their life changes more coming back and forth from campus than other people's, but um, is that like summer vacation or like a break is really hard to pray. It's like, or when we go home to visit our families, that's often a comment that our brothers make, that being home makes it really difficult to have that rhythm of prayer. So these changes too can be a source of of difficulty in our prayer and, and kind of lead or kind of, they might not be a source of desolation themselves, but can kind of leave us in a kind of place that we feel kind of trapped or lost. So even creating habits of like the time that we pray and the place that we pray is is an important thing to, to help here. And, and one of those ways that we can troubleshoot some of our own difficulty, you know, faithfulness in that can be a super helpful tool. And it is for me, and I think from hearing from others that it is from them, whether it's complaints about changes or um, praising kind of regularity and things, that it can be a super helpful way to kind of lay the foundation of prayer. And as Father Gregory was describing, like control what you can control and those kind of things. So then maybe just by way of um, yeah, conclusion or by way of summation. Then in the latter half of this chapter, we heard how he turns to those cases of desolation which arise through no fault of our own. And he gives us these steps that we can march through in order to, yeah, just again, be, be present to the Lord or be present to the experience in a way that disposes us for spiritual growth. So he says, you know, humble yourself, beg of God, basically that this time of desolation be taken away from you or just beg of him the grace that you need to pass through it. Open up to someone else. He mentions a spiritual director, uh, but also if you know you don't have a spiritual director, somebody with whom you can share these things. And then he says, then don't worry too terribly much about being delivered from desolation. He says, redouble your efforts at living a devout life. You know, uh, I think in a uh, another episode we were talking about, you know, getting out of your head and into your body. You know, like live your devout life with its various embodied practices, and then just just be about it, right? So I think here of the example that St. Teresa of Avila says when it comes to distractions in prayer, she says, yeah, don't pay them too much mind. You can kind of just note them, oh, look, it's a distraction, and then watch as it passes, and then direct your gaze gently back to Christ without, you know, kind of unsettling or troubling your interior state too terribly much, because that's just what the distraction kind of wants of you. Uh, but if we are able to just watch it pass, then it's not nearly as, yeah, unsettling. So yeah, maybe just um, your thoughts on on that recommendation of St. Francis's. Yeah, the, the idea of distractions being a further distraction, like compounding the distraction is, is a real thing. Um, so that advice that St. Francis recounts from St. Teresa of Avila is really, really important that this sort of detachment in our prayer, just letting, as Father Gregory said, letting distractions pass by, not be not be caught off guard because we are going to be distracted. So let's just, you know, call it for what it is. But I think calling it for what it is helps us to be sort of freed from it. You know, we shouldn't be surprised that we're distracted. We also shouldn't be terribly uh, surprised when some distractions are like severe. Sometimes they're going to keep coming back and keep coming back. Our job isn't so much to sort of dwell on them, but to let them pass, call on the name of our Lord and just keep showing up, keep showing up, let our Lord work and, and be patient and trust that he's working. Yeah. And I think that, again, we've mentioned it in past episodes, this idea of abandonment or consent. Ultimately, we want to be before the Lord with a spirit that simply says, all right, I'm here. 
Evidently, you've given me the grace to be here. It seems that you have plans for my being here. And I just want to let you know that I'm happy to carry out those plans. What's that you say? Your plan is for me to feel absolutely nothing? Oh, fascinating. Very fascinating. But if that's your plan, then I guess I signed up for this when I said I, I was here for your plan. So he, he kind of commends to us this spirit of, you know, just giving ourselves very simply, uncomplicatedly to the will of God. And while it won't always feel good, it won't always feel consoling. In fact, it might be desolating as we hear in this chapter. Yet we have a kind of habitual trust. You know, we have a faith, a hope, a love that this plan is underwritten by God's designs for our growth in the life of faith, for our growth in the devout life. Because ultimately, you know, like why else would he make us? Uh, it's not it's not a strange experiment by an evil scientist. It's a wonderful experiment by God who has fixed all of his love on us. So Father Jacob Bertrand, any final words? Yeah, I think kind of just what we've already said, desolations, consolations are going to come, they're going to go, but they're not the heart of the spiritual life Christ is. So it's a matter of asking his grace to stay focused and on him and with him uh, through kind of the the varying seasons of our of our spiritual life. And there's yeah, it's simple, simple to say, a little more complicated to live out, but the truth is simple all the same. All right, folks, that's it for today. So thanks so much for having tuned in. Be sure to follow us wherever you listen to your podcasts. To download the reading plan and support the production of this podcast, please visit ascensionpress.com slash Catholic Classics. Know of our prayers for you, please pray for us, and we will catch you next time on Catholic Classics. Mm-hmm.